Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. This week I want to talk about the American poet Billy Collins. Billy Collins, if he is one thing, and he's more than that, he is popular. In fact, he was described by the New York Times as the most popular poet in America. Now, I know I always uh, fool around when I talk about fame and popularity in the context of poetry on this podcast because most people obviously aren't interested at all in poetry and don't know any poets apart from, I don't know, Shakespeare, Wordsworth maybe. But he's certainly big by um, poetry standards in his home country of the United States of America. The Encyclopedia Britannica, yes, I looked in there, said of Billy Collins's poetry, it is uncommonly accessible verse. There'll be some sort of avant-garde types already switching this off. Uncommonly accessible verse characterised by plain language. Oh, no and an alert appreciation for the mundane. Well, I do like anyone who's got an alert appreciation for the mundane. So it sounds, doesn't it, like um, I'm going to be reading poetry for people who don't like poetry, if you know what I mean. When people say, oh, I don't like this new stuff, oh, I don't like that flowery old stuff, I like stuff that goes dee 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 he isn't that kind of popular, don't worry. I wouldn't be reading him out to you if I didn't think he was brilliant. I like reading him out to you as if I was some sort of poetical town crier. I mean sharing his work with you is what I mean. Just to give you uh, his, uh, a little bit of his CV, he's a former American poet laureate and also a former New York City poet laureate. Who knew? And also, get this, he used to have a poetry channel on Delta Airlines, uh, you know, their in-flight entertainment thing, and you don't hear many poetry channels on in-flight entertainment. Believe me, I've searched for them. So, yeah, he sort of seems to transcend the poetry secret world that... um, I talk about a lot on this podcast and has lapsed slightly into the popular. I would say in that context that you might expect his verse to be very regular and to use a lot of rhyme and all those things that make uh, popular poetry, you know, accessibility and just the lovely sound of words. Don't get me wrong, I like popular poetry. I should give an example of it. Stuff like, what is this life if full of care we have no time to stop and stare? It's so interesting. It makes us think about our own lives. It's basic, accessible. It rhymes and it's in a a neat rhythmic order. Billy Collins's poetry isn't like that or none of the poetry that I've read of his has been like that and I've read a lot. It's free verse, meaning that it doesn't have regular meter, regular rhythms. It doesn't have rhyme at the end of the line. It's conversational. And I think that 
is part of the secret of his popularity. It just feels like clever ideas expressed brilliantly and with tremendous wit. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Now, I'm self-conscious about doing Billy Collins. By the way, I always say when they were born and when they died, if they did, he was born in 1941, and thank God he continueth at the time of this recording, and long may he reign in whatever poet laureate context he might be uh, finding himself. The reason I'm self-conscious and anxious more so than I normally am when I start a Frank Skinner's Poetry podcast is that Billy Collins was also a lecturer and part of his work was to teach people how to read and write and appreciate poetry. And he wrote a poem called Introduction to Poetry, which whenever I read it, I get a a shudder, I suppose I'd call it. I love it. It's great. And it excites me. And it sort of is a thrilling description of what poetry can be. But then it also describes how poetry can be misused. And that's what frightens me. Because when I think of myself in the context of these podcasts, I think what percentage celebration am I and what percentage close, tight analysis? Who was it who said, we murder to dissect? William Wordsworth, I think. So anyway, he wrote a poem called Introduction to Poetry, which I'm going to do quite briefly as a sort of an introduction to this, and you'll see why it's celebratory, but also why it makes me feel like I might be the bad guy. Okay. I asked them to take a poem. Remember, he's a lecturer, so he's talking about his students. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a colour slide or press an ear against its hive. Already I am loving it. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a colour slide. So just to stare at it and seek out some illumination so you can see all its fabulous colours, its fabulous contrasts. That was my phone. Probably the least professional thing I've ever done in the context of these podcasts. But you know what? I'm not going to edit it out because um, that's a faff. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a colour slide. Or, and this is really an image I love, or press an ear against its hive. Okay, it's hive. There's so much going on in a poem. It's busy, it's active and productive, like a hive, like a beehive. There's also a sense of danger there I think to press your ear up against a hive poetry might take you places you weren't expecting but anyway so these are the things he asked them to do take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive listen listen to those whatever the poem is its rhythms its rhymes its meanings its pictures its music listen to them just buzzing 
I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out. I think that suggests a sort of random approach to a poem. Don't go into it in some formal first line, second line way. You can see why I'm already feeling guilty at this stage. Just go into it freely and with a random sense of adventure, like a mouse just chewing his way through something. I think that could also mean an idea about the poem that you might get from your lecturer. Drop that in and see what it does, see if it works, see if it finds its way through. Or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. Fantastic. Oh, Billy Collins. Walk inside the poem's room, and it is like a room, a poem, because it contains so many novel and interesting things, and it's decorated in a distinct style, and it reflects the person who has designed it and who dwells in it in some way. Walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. You know when you walk into a dark room and you're just feeling around and then again light the colour slide illumination you start to see and understand still speaking of the students I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem waving at the author's name on the shore that is the level of free spirit enjoyment I want them to take from a poem. I don't want them to be, and I don't know any other way of expressing this other than e-e-e about a poem. I want them to flourish. I want them to be flamboyant. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem. So maybe that's about the first reading, the surface of the poem, before you go deep, deep, deep. Just water ski and feel the wind in your hair and the exhilaration of a new and brilliant poem. Waving at the author's name on the shore. What does that mean? I think it means don't be too respectful to the author or the poem. Just wave gaily from your water ski and move on. And then we get the last two stanzas of uh, introduction to poetry by Billy Collins and this is where I feel the spotlight swivels onto me but then it's always about me that's my problem but we all find ourselves in poetry I believe again of the students but all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it they begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. And I think it's that emphasis on really. What does it really mean? And you have to be careful with that. And I can lapse into that. I don't want meaning to be my sergeant major, but I do care about what a poem means. I find it difficult sometimes to say, oh, just feel the music. And I do love to feel the music, obviously, as I feel the music of this, even though it's in free verse and its music is deftly hidden. I feel it and I try to emphasise the beauty. Why am I defending myself? Because Billy Collins has pointed his bony finger at me him and his popularity and um yeah maybe sometimes i do tie the poem to a chair with rope 
and uh, begin beating it with a hose. I try not to do that, and I'll certainly try not to do it with Billy Collins today. I once had an argument with the art critic Tim Marlowe, who's um, he's a big art critic guy on television, so, you know, important. Nice bloke, but we differed on a thing, and that was portraiture and likeness. And Tim Marlowe felt that you could still have a great portrait of someone, even if it didn't especially look like them, that reducing portraiture to just capturing likeness was a negative thing to do. And I think he saw, to sum up, likeness in portraiture as little more than a bourgeois affectation. For me, I said to him, I called him Tim, I said, Tim, I can take the strangest and most experimental approaches to portraiture. It can be three lines of orange paint. It can be just a scribble of a nose. It can be almost invisible. But I need to find some likeness of the sitter in it. That is what I need. And in a poem, the meaning is important to me that sounds ridiculous it's important to everyone isn't it yeah you have to be careful that you don't murder to dissect that you don't forget the fabulous packaging that the meaning comes in because without that it's paraphrase and poetry cannot be paraphrased in any full constructive and rich way so yes i'm with billy collins but i know sometimes i do get the rope out but that's my business um no you know what i mean so i'm not going to do that today i hope i never do it but you know we all have to examine ourselves occasionally and billy collins it's a great place to go for self-examination I do like his stuff, and I don't know if you'll know stuff like it. It almost doesn't feel like poetry, but it has all those beautiful, inventive, fabulous turns of phrase. You know, even prose can be poetic. I said way, way back on this podcast that I felt Jack Kerouac's On the Road is actually a long prose poem rather than a novel. And... Um, it's great to read. This is poetry from Billy Collins, but it's sneaky. It doesn't always feel that poetic, but it's got such richness. Enough. I'm going to talk about American Sonnet, a poem that Billy Collins wrote in 1991. Here's the first three stanzas. I know what you're thinking, not another sonnet. We're always doing sonnets, 14 lines of iambic pentameter. Relax. This is called American Sonnet, but it isn't a sonnet. It's actually 21 lines, if you care. And because it's Billy Collins, they are of irregular length. It's sort of about sonnets, a bit, is why it's called that. And he is also championing a sort of a folk art as uh, the American version of the sonnet. Listen in. We do not speak like Petrarch or wear a hat like Spencer 
And it is not 14 lines like furrows in a small, carefully ploughed field, but the picture postcard, a poem on vacation that forces us to sing our songs in little rooms or pour our sentiments into measuring cups. We write on the back of a waterfall or lake, adding to the view a caption as conventional as an Elizabethan woman's heliocentric eyes. Don't panic because I've said heliocentric. We're going to get there. Right, let's look at this. We do not speak like Petrarch or wear a hat like Spencer. Now, the title of the poem is American Sonnet, so I think it would be a good starting place to think he's probably talking about Americans. We do not speak like Petrarch or wear a hat like Spencer. It is not 14 lines like furrows in a small, carefully ploughed field. So, the title is American Sonnet. He starts off by name-checking two of the great sonnet writers from the early days of the sonnet. Petrarch, the Italian sonneteer, I believe that's what they call sonnet writers. And also, incidentally, nothing to do with this, I only found out quite recently, Petrarch is credited with being the first man to climb a mountain just for the view. I know, it's a fabulous distinction to carry through life. Hey, isn't that Petrarch, the first guy who climbed a mountain just for the view? But that's what they say, and I think it suggests it is artistic bent, that he would go to all that work just for a moment of sublime beauty. Spencer, Edmund Spencer, was a great English poet who wrote one of my favourite long poems, The Fairy Queen. So... We do not speak like Petrarch or wear a hat like Spencer. We are Americans, so we speak in a simple, colloquial, non-fancy way, not like Petrarch, and we don't wear a hat like Spencer. We don't need to prove ourselves. He's, I think he's ignoring the Stetson, maybe, at this point. But he's saying we're Americans, and you know, Americans, we're above all that finery and all that posing. We're down-to-earth guys. I use the guys to refer to men and women. And it's not 14 lines like furrows in a small, carefully ploughed field. So this American sonnet, which has been introduced in the title, the language of it is not going to be like Petrarch and it's not going to be a grand form and a grand manner like Spencer in his hat. I've never seen Edmund Spencer in a hat in any of his portraits, but I know what he means. He sounds like he should have one. It's a sort of symbol of class and pomposity, I suppose, that he's saying doesn't sit on the American head. They are above all that. And it is not 14 lines like furrows in a small, carefully ploughed field. So this European form, as um, made popular by Petrarch and Spencer, 14 lines like furrows in a small, 
carefully ploughed field. There's nothing small about the American mindset and it doesn't want to be constrained to 14 lines like furrows in a small carefully ploughed field. It wants to be free, it wants to be big, it wants to be loud. So what is it that that makes an American sonnet? Why is it still a sonnet in some way? Let's find out. But the picture postcard, a poem on vacation that forces us to sing our songs in little rooms or pour our sentiments into measuring cups. Aha, this is Billy Collins's conceit, as they call it, his big idea in this poem, that Americans are not fabulously wordy and eloquent like Petrarch. They're not grand like Spencer. They won't be contained to something small and careful like a sonnet form. But the picture postcard, a poem on vacation that forces us to sing our songs in little rooms. There is an American form, an American equivalent, which has the same challenge in some ways as the sonny, in that you have a tiny space in which to express your thoughts and you cannot stray beyond the constraints of that space. I've referred previously on this podcast to the sonnet as the box and the picture postcard or at least that half of the blank side that doesn't include the address. That is your challenge. That is your box if you are an American as Billy Collins sees it. So he's saying this is the American equivalent of the sonnet is having to squeeze all your thoughts into half one side of a postcard. It is safe to say that Billy's been slightly ironic here. Uh, I know people think Americans don't do irony, but Billy definitely does. And I don't know that he literally thinks that a picture postcard is the equivalent of a sonny. I think he's having a loving little dig at Americans there and saying, um, you know, we don't have this grand, long literary tradition and we we don't have these elaborate sonnets. We have the picture postcard, but he loves that. And you know why he loves it? Do you remember what it said in the Encyclopedia Britannica? Yes, he has an alert appreciation for the mundane. Here it is in action. A poem on vacation. That, oh, I love it. It's classic Billy Collins because he's convinced us, sort of, in an ironic, go with me on this guy's way, that the picture postcard for Americans is their version of the sonnet. So it's a sort of poem. But now he describes it as a poem on vacation. And we think we'll accept that because, yes, that's where we write that, in inverted commas, poem, when we're on vacation. But also... It's a poem on vacation. In other words, it's a poem, as he sees it, normally associated with a tight, 
constricting and very formal plan like a sonnet. But this poem is on vacation. It is a sonnet that has put its shorts on, knotted a handkerchief onto its head, settled down on a deck chair and had an ice cream and thought, oh, I'm not bothering about me iambic pentameters today. I'm keeping it still in a small space, but I'm just going to let it flow a little bit. It's a poem on vacation. I would say that one could argue that Billy Collins's poems are themselves sort of poems on vacation. They're short, relaxed, devoid of traditional poetic form. Wouldn't be a massive overstatement to say they have more in common with a brilliantly witty, thought-provoking postcard message than they do with a traditional European sonny. There, I've said it. Anyway, it's a poem on vacation that forces us to sing our songs in little rooms or pour our sentiments into measuring cups. And as I've just said, of course, it does, just like a sonnet, a postcard forces us to keep it tight, to sing our songs, again, a sort of poetic image, sing our songs in little rooms. And there might be a slight pun on that, that we have little room to write. Also, I think we're reminded of the idea of a poem as a room, like that earlier poem that I read out when it talked about the poem's room where we fumbled about for a light switch. So, so that idea, the, uh, the poem as a room that you enter into. But I also like little rooms because for me, little rooms, and this might be something to do with being a stand-up comedian, they suggest intimacy and closeness. And that's what a postcard does. And maybe the speaker here is suggesting that someone like Petrarch or Spencer, for all their writings on love, maybe suggesting they lack that plain, old-fashioned, simple intimacy. Or maybe saying that they have that, and that's another thing that the um, postcard has in common with the sonnet you choose so we are forced to sing our songs in little room it forces us just like um, any poetic form forces us to write in a certain way or pour our sentiments into measuring cops and it's again that tight tight concision we write on the back of a waterfall or lake adding to the view a caption as conventional as an Elizabethan woman's heliocentric eyes. Well, it feels like a metaphor, but it's almost literal, isn't it? Because we do write on the back of a picture of a waterfall or lake or similar when we write a picture postcard. Adding to the viewer caption as conventional as an Elizabethan woman's heliocentric eyes. I think it's about that convention of saying on the postcard we went here on Thursday and um, I fell down that step on the left that kind of thing that people write about the picture on the other side of the postcard 
Adding to the viewer caption as conventional, so he's accepting that that is something of a cliché to refer to the picture on the other side, conventional as an Elizabethan woman's heliocentric eyes. Now, heliocentric, you may know, means something that the sun is at the centre of. And I'm thinking that Billy is referring to, and I'm reaching for it now, William Shakespeare's sonnet 130, My Mistress's Eyes Are Nothing Like the Sun. This particular sonnet by Shakespeare, I would say, well, I'd say for a start off, it's a little bit cruel to the mistress, but we won't go into that today. It's a spoof of those Petrarchan love sonnets, and not so much Petrarch and his writing, which Shakespeare, I think, would have seen as being at the top end, but all his imitators, and now they've just picked up on the conventions and cliches of the Petrarchan sonnet, where you say, my mistress's eyes have got the sun pouring out of them, and, I mean, you say it better than that. But this is the uh, just the beginning of Sonnet 130 by Shakespeare. My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. D-U-N, which is a sort of a dirty brown colour. So he is shooting down the speaker in that sonnet, is shooting down all those conventions from the Petrarchan sonnet where it says, my mistress's eyes are like the sun. He's looking at his mistress, taking those conventions very literally and saying, "Mm, she doesn't really come up to those standards. So what Billy Collins does by reminding us, I think, of that sonnet, and you don't need to know that sonnet, you don't need to make that connection. It might be one that Billy didn't make and I did, who knows, but I think it works. The point of it is, yes, writing on the back of a postcard, a reference to the picture on the front, is conventional. It's done a lot. But that doesn't make it less like the great poems. In a way, it makes it more like, because it says it's as conventional as an Elizabethan woman's heliocentric eye. So that was a convention of the sonnet. My lover's eyes are like the sun. It's no less of a convention than that thing about saying this is the waterfall we went to on Thursday. So it's another comparison. The postcard works in a tight space and it has known conventions, just like a sonnet, and we're about to hear a few more in the next um, stanza. We locate an adjective for the weather. We announce that we are having a wonderful time. We express the wish that you were here. So there we have, as I say, more conventions. But I like we locate an adjective for the weather. For a, again, that makes it sound like a poet. The writer of the postcard is taking part in a poetic activity, the selection, uh, the location of an adjective 
is what a poet is doing all the time. So we're looking for the right word even when we write that little postcard. We locate an adjective for the weather. And of course, the weather is another convention, something that people talk about all the time in that postcard. So we're looking for the right adjective, but we're still working in a very conventional way. We announce that we are having a wonderful time. We express the wish that you were here. And there you have one of the great picture postcard conventions. Having a lovely time. Wish you were here. Now we get the twist from Billy Collins. So we've told the receiver of this postcard that we wished that uh, they were here with us. But then the next answer, and hide the wish that we were where you are. Walking back from the mailbox, your head lowered as you read and turn the thin message in your hands. So, it's all been lovely. A little bit about the weather. We're having a wonderful time. We wish you were here. And hide the wish that we were where you are. Walking back from the mailbox. I don't think he means I want to those mailboxes you get in the street. He means the mailbox that Americans have outside their houses where the mailman leaves the letters and you go and take them out and then walk back to your house, I guess, flicking through them as the receiver of the postcard does here. Walking back from the mailbox, your head lowered because he's reading the postcard. As you read... And turn the thin message in your hands. Thin because it's a postcard. Maybe thin because there's almost no content. The space and the constriction is so tight. But there you read and turn. You look at the picture. You look at the writing. I'm going on. A slice of this place. A length of white beach. A piazza or carved spires of a cathedral will pierce the familiar place where you remain. A slice of this place, so a little rectangle of um, this place, the picture, in other words. And this is some examples of what it could be. A length of white beach, a piazza or carved spires of a cathedral will pierce the familiar place where you remain. Pierce, is that um, a strange word to use for the effect of the postcard on the friend or family member back home? Well, there's another Billy Collins poem called Consolation. And it's all about that. It's all about the joy of the familiar and I think Billy is sort of buying into in, in this poem Consolation the idea of Americans as profoundly parochial of Americans a lot of Americans never leaving America because they just like America and they're not interested to see anywhere else and it's a stereotype people used to say only 10% of Americans have passports I think in truth, certainly nowadays, it's it's about it's like a third of Americans have passports. 
That might not just be parochialism, it can also be poverty, of course. I didn't have a passport till I was 33. Okay, I'm going to read you the first stanza of Consolation, the other poem that's, that's about um, the joy of the familiar, just, just to give you a bit of context. How agreeable it is not to be touring Italy this summer, wandering her cities and ascending her torrid hill-towns. How much better to cruise these local, familiar streets, fully grasping the meaning of every road sign and billboard and all the sudden hand gestures of my compatriots. So... How agreeable it is not to be touring Italy this summer. I love the idea of ascending her torrid hill towns. That is that part of being a holiday maker, which makes you think, oh, wish I was at home. But this is what he's talking about, the joy of the familiar. How much better to cruise these local familiar streets. And I think he uses the word cruise ironically because we associate the cruise with seeing the world. He doesn't want to. He wants to just see his local familiar streets. Fully grasping the meaning of every road sign and billboard. And it can be alienating sometimes being abroad and just not being able to read anything. And he's just expressing the glory of grasping the meaning of every road sign and billboard and all the sudden hand gestures of my compatriots. It's not even the language, just the way people gesture. I get it all. I know it. It's my place. It's familiar. There are no torrid hill towns. I love being home in my little American town or city or wherever it is I live. Home, familiarity, and deep understanding of what you're seeing. Maybe that parochialism is there in that first stanza. We do not speak like Petrarch or wear a hat like Spencer. We don't want any of that European posing here. We are simple, straightforward Americans. And bear in mind, this is the voice of the speaker. Billy Collins is much more nuanced and much cleverer, and he's examining that view and examining these ideas. Don't think this is just Billy Collins's view. He's much more complex. OK, last stanza. And you will toss on the table this reversible display, a few square inches of where we have strayed and a compression of what we feel. So it sounds pretty disposable, doesn't it, the postcard? You will toss on the table this reversible display. Obviously, picture on one side, writing on the other, so it's a reversible display. And... I think he likes that the person he sends the postcard to will do that because it suggests a sort of a disrespect, just like the speaker in that first poem invited the student to wave at the poet from their water skiing. Don't be too respectful. Nothing is that important 
Certainly nothing written is what uh, seems to be the suggestion. Again, this is the speaker's voice, not necessarily Billy's. And I think what he's seen as the American point of view. And you will toss on the table this reversible display. Yeah, OK, I've read it. It's a nice picture. I've done. That, that's a, an attitude I think the speaker enjoys. A few square inches of where we have strayed. And strayed makes it sound almost like a mistake, but certainly not necessarily a great decision going abroad. And a compression of what we feel. So he does end on what could be a pretty good definition of the sonnet, a compression of what we feel. And as I said, that is the great skill of the poet, to take what they feel and to express it in the most economical fashion you could imagine. In fact, an economical fashion that those of us who don't write poetry can't imagine until we see it on the book. That's American Sonnet by Billy Collins. I totally love it. I think American Sonnet is a central Billy Collins poem because it really does highlight his uh, alert appreciation for the mundane. That one line sums up Billy Collins's work. We locate an adjective for the weather. And if you put a, a stop in the middle of that, we locate an adjective. So a lot of thought, a lot of original thought, a lot of carefulness goes into this poetry, but it is for the weather. That's what that adjective is for. So it's a clever, inventive, original way of talking about something very ordinary and often not even thought of in uh, in major terms. And it is the American thing. I think he's saying, I'm an American writer. I don't have tight structure and formal language like the European poetic tradition. I'm a bit more like maybe Walt Whitman, who I've done a podcast about, if you'd like to listen to that. I'm less flamboyant, though, than Walt Whitman. I'm more like someone who writes clever, witty highly thought through picture postcards and they are written from another place like all picture postcards often a quite different unusual challenging place with torrid hill towns and I think he is saying that other place that I write from is poetry poetry that includes Petrarch and Spencer and I know that poetry and I've been influenced by it and I love it and I care about it and when I've processed it and presented it to you. It will be a slice of this place that will pierce the familiar place where you remain. So it'll have that unusualness. It will come from the other place that is poetry with all its tradition and all its long line of great writers. But you won't really notice that because I'm going to play that down It'll be just as carefully written as, as Petrarch and Spencer's work, but they upfront um, the, uh, the, the height and language and the form. I downplay it. My poetry reads like a picture postcard, but if you press your ear 
against its hive, you'll find there's a lot more going on. That is what I think is being said in American Sonnet, um, as well as the other things we've talked about. Read Billy Collins. Uh, it, it seems simple. It isn't. Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that, but more jokes. See you next week.